Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. I'm watching Man United concede the game to Young Boys, a game they're currently leading, just because they've had Arm Wan Basaka sent off. <laughs> <laughs> this is Paul McGrath. You're listening to the Villa Podcast. That morning sky gave me a love. So I left while you were sleeping. That's all it took. And that's control of a football match. This is what we've always wanted. A fullback driving forward, cutting inside, shooting off his bad foot, triangles. One-touch football, people making themselves available all over the pitch. Options from the bench. Not just any old options, options to change the intent, the pace, the shape of we want. Quality options, a new hero for the whole end. Villa Park absolutely bouncing. Sweet Caroline blaring out. Some days are better than others, Liam. And you know what? We did all this without Jordan Pickford. <laughs> Yeah, I was absolutely raging when I found out Pickford was out injured. And that was only made worse when I realised the backup was fucking Begovic. <laughs> Unbelievable. What the fuck is he doing on the bench for everything? I have no idea. I have no idea why he's joined the club to play as the backup goalkeeper. But I also just have no idea how he is the backup goalkeeper. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, it flashed up... Um... The Everton team sheet, and I straight away I just went, oh for fuck's sake! And I, I I didn't I didn't look, you know. They realised that Richardson and Dominic Calvert Lewin were, were both out, you know, which is obviously great for Villa. And there's a caveat, not not a caveat in the result. This is what you want. You want them to go and bury a team then who are a bit weaker. But the fact that Pickford wasn't there, and you're right, to see Begovic, it was like fuck off. Like why <laughs> why have they been keeping this guy in storage the whole time? And and he pulls out a class save as well straight away. Yeah, and like we were gloating and gleeful about the fact that Jed Steer is our backup, but it's a it's a different level when it's Begovic. <laughs> and during the like, you're right to be optimistic and happy about that result. But the most the most played game in English league football, which we were reminded of a dozen times before the game kicked yeah. off. Well, fuck me! At the end of the first half, I was thinking it's had a good run. Let's wrap it up. Like discontinue <laughs> this because the game 
the game was diabolical. The, the quality of the game was terrible. There's players running out of play like you wouldn't believe. Yeah. With balls bouncing off them, overhit, underhit, mishit passes. Players panicking, making terrible decisions. I was just thinking, Villa are really good, but we're shite. And like, <laughs> up until the 60th minute mark, we had been treated to 150 minutes including the Chelsea game, of Villa nearly being a very good football team. We were yeah. so close, but the final third quality, just like the entire second half of last season, was terrible. It just wasn't there. But Jesus, did we get it right in the last 30 minutes? And I think it's it's obviously all with hindsight, but I think even hindsight now in scoring those three goals in nine minutes, which is electrifying. And like, it, it, it can't be overstated. Like, you know, Villa fans really do need to countenance the fact that Villa are dangerous and they usually have been under Dean Smith. And and that's that, that's no joke, being able to just rattle through, like open up a Rafa Benitez team, run through them and score three goals in nine minutes, put the game beyond all doubt. And it is hindsight because I think everybody was a bit frustrated at halftime, a bit worried as well. But I think looking back now in the whole, I like the idea that, you know, I said control the very first word. Like we... We weren't looking like all over the place. We weren't looking like we could be opened up. We were a bit boring, you know, like in general, we weren't we weren't cutting through Everton. And, you know, maybe if, if Rondon had been a bit sharper, he would have gotten on the end of that one that came across the box. Twanzebe did well after initially. I thought he didn't do too well when Rondon got a sort of march on him, but Twanzebe knocked it out. But apart from that, you know, Villa had relative sort of control of the match and they didn't look like it was going to be a, a shitstorm like <laughs> you know like whatsapp winges weren't lighting up at that stage that's the best way i can put it yeah i mean just to, on the rondon chance i mean to be fair to twan there's absolutely no way he can expect that solomon rondon is going to take a first touch that good <laughs> <and> <laughs> take him out of the game i think he did really well to react to that absolute aberration something that's never happened on a football pitch before it's an incredible first touch from rondon the before the game though I was really encouraged whenever I heard Rafa Benitez talk he was asked about Aston Villa and he said Villa Villa are offensive they, they play two up top and he didn't sound like he knew an awful lot about Aston Villa but he also <laughs> sounded like he was afraid I mean and he set up his team not just with fear but with absolutely no imagination and this is a man who, that has won the Champions League with Jimmy Trorori at left back and he's, he's twice made his name appear on live TV with a swish of his hand. So we know he's capable of magical <laughs> things. So I was surprised and delighted with the approach. It was so boring and just hoping for luck. Fair enough, his two best attackers were missing. But Damari Gray and Townsend have had brilliant starts to the season. And Rondon is a very similar type of a player to Dominic Calvert-Lewin. He's nowhere near as good. But you don't have to adjust the entire way you're going to play the game just because Dominic Calvert-Lewin's out. I mean, Rondon can do what you want Calvert-Lewin to do. He just can't do it as well. And to just go back into his shell so much and rely on counter-attack, I thought it was surprising, pathetic, and absolutely amazing from my point of view. <laughs> I actually did get a bit frightened when a stat flashed up before the game of Rondon and... I think it was at Newcastle, 11 goals and 7 assists in one season. And I was like, what? Where the fuck did that come from? Like, it just sort of flown under my radar. But that's that's lethal stuff from a striker at that at that level as well. Um, but we'll go through we'll go through Villa's goals. Before we do, though, I must 
I must bring a Rosenthal nomination, a, a once Rosenthal nomination that is now thrown out with the bathwater because <laughs> it it reads Matt Cash thinking he can back his left foot when McGinn and <laughs> when McGinn and Ings are in better positions. Yeah, that was that was a really irritating moment of the first half as well. Just. Matt Cash having a slash of the ball his left foot it was terrible and it came not that long after John McGinn tried to bend one around somebody who had covered the post by about 10 yards oh, but he he dragged the ball in that direction as well he had the space at the other side and he took it around to the other side of your man so annoying such a terrible touch and once he had taken the touch as well I don't know why we're in the Rossenthal ward already especially <laughs> seeing as we just won a game 3-0 <laughs> but once he took the touch John McGinn lined up that shot for about four and a half minutes and it's amazing that the guy didn't get out closer to him and just block it off. I think it was Alan, so that explains it a bit more. But Jesus Christ, don't shoot now, John. He's blocked off the angle, in fairness to him. But it's funny you mentioned the the Matty Cash thing because the entire time he was running with that ball, I was just, of course, calling him a cunt for not passing it the whole way up until the point that it ripped the back of the net. Because uh. I think it was Danny Ings who was just standing Free about fifteen yeah. yards out. Jacob Ramsey was, I think, he was the central one, and Ings was further to the yeah, left. Yeah, it was Jacob Ramsey, you're right, yeah. And it was just the pass was on, it was on, it was on, and his touches were so they weren't out of control, but they were a long way from his body. You know, it was, there was plenty of time for a defender to react. He was running a pace, but every time he touched the ball, it went about five yards ahead of him. <laughs> and the, the pass to him from Louise is, it cannot be forgotten as well. That was just a lovely one touch pass from Louise. <laughs> It was incredible. But Jesus, it's brilliant. And I was thinking that was probably Matty Cash's best attacking performance since he joined. I mean, the whole game, he was so aggressive. He knew he had the beating of Dinya at left-back as well. And he was going at him. There was a couple of times where he picked the ball up way further infield than he normally would be. He was picking the ball up nearly in centre midfield. And he was just running in an arc around Dinya and being really dangerous. Whipping in a lot of crosses that were overhit or underhit. But he, he looked like he wanted to get at him, and it was I've comfortably his best attacking performance. Yeah, he he was yeah he had a real desire to get forward. Like you know, I've mentioned it recently, like that award that we used to have. Did Matt Cash get forward tonight? Born out of frustration that he, he wasn't showing the intent to get forward, and tonight he just he just wanted to go every time. There, there were a couple of little frustrations, like um, Ings had us. Ings was unbelievable in this game, but he had that amazing turn on the halfway line. Nice run, feeds it to Watkins, who then I think misses out Douglas Ruiz and plays it across to to Matt Cash, who who just tries to float across and into nobody. Oh. Like even yeah, even if there were no Everton players in the way, it was going nowhere. Like Ings had run into the back post, and he just I he, he just given up on, on trying to think of someone and just thought I better just do something here. And I actually would have rather he shot in that in that case. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he, he was trying to do something more difficult than the shot, so just have the shot that was uh, was terrible. There was Even the way he was moving his foot, the part of his foot he hit it with, he, it looked like he was trying to play it where he played it, which makes it all the more confusing. Because I think it was, again, it was Ramsey at the edge of the box, Watkins was further wide, and Ings had gone to the back post, and he just put it straight down the middle towards the corner flag. I need to get this podcast under control because we're happy with Mad Cash. <laughs> And we're we're happy with this result. And like that first goal that you did mention, I I had sort of been honing in on your hero Douglas Louise finally being let off the leash, and he was annoying me a little bit. He had he had nice ideas, but 
overrunning the ball, maybe taking it in the wrong direction, and he grew into it. And that touch was amazing. Again, brilliant from Danny Ings as well. This is they start this move off, nice triangles like I mentioned, and uh, just a one touch from Douglas Louise. I love a midfielder who forces a run, you know, and Cash was on his toes anyway. And Louise said, there it is, go for it. I don't want to sound like Andy Gray. But, like, you know, <laughs> there's the space on, go on, get your goal. And that screamer and fairness from Cash. Yeah, and just the way he brushes Dino out of the way as well, because it, it's a good pass from Louise, but, you know, it gives the defender a chance as well. But it's just so aggressive from Cash that he can't handle it. And Douglas Louise was, I thought he was brilliant before he had to switch position. And it did take him a while to settle into that position. And maybe, maybe he was helped by Villa going in the lead. He got a lot more confidence then. Maybe it was just that one touch. Because you know yourself, whenever you do something that just feels lovely coming off your foot, you just start feeling better immediately. It just feels right. You feel like you're more in control of your body and of the game. And then after that goal, and then Douglas Louise was well able to play that advanced role that I had insisted he could play, but had <laughs> absolutely no evidence of. And it is, it's... It probably brings back into question the Nakamba thing, which we seem to go back and forward on. Um, and we did, we got a, a lengthy email. I wasn't ignoring it, but Colin McKay, who sent us an email before on the Villa podcast at gmail.com, if anybody's interested in getting in touch. But he seems to be Nakamba's number one fan. <laughs> no, he's not, but he's, he's, he's often taken issue with our sort of dismissal of Nakamba. And in nights like this, again, you start, you start questioning, and it's just, you know, the very. The very least that Nakama gives you is like allowing people like Douglas Louise and and Ramsey to be a bit more free and, and off the leash. And I don't know, do you, like, were you a bit more tempted in in seeing that? No, I, I think whenever you're going to play the three across the middle, we can see the type of control that Douglas Louise gives you. And if you're playing three, you need to have you need to have a ball player. You need to have a regista, as they would say in Italy. That's the type of player you need to have there, especially if you have the energy of. Ramsey and McGinn either side. I don't think Nakamba is necessary in that in that role. To be fair to Nakamba, he played and completed a forty yard pass. <laughs> it was unbelievable. Whipped it out to the wing first time. The best thing I've ever seen him do. Like Nakamba does get a hard time, but it's because I want Aston Villa to be better than marvelous Nakamba, who is yeah. fine. Yeah, fine, nice lad, works hard. Second goal. Bit harsh to call a Lucas Dinho own goal. I thought, like that, like that was whipping right. And I, w- I was trying to imagine the equivalent if, if Bailey shoots from it. You know, imagine just taking the angles all out twenty yards, so he's the edge of the box, and the ball's coming in still with that angle, and Dinho gets the touch like he did. I think that would be a Bailey goal. And, and like the, the cross is going in. Begovic is stand- is doing a Pickford. I don't know what he's doing. And yeah, maybe the flick helps it on its way. But I don't know. I thought that would have been a goal if it wasn't a corner. A goal for Bailey, sorry. Yeah, I mean, I think Aston Villa get incredibly lucky that Dinia's five foot nine because it does just shave off the top of his head if he was if he was slightly taller, it doesn't go in. But I think because Dinia is intentionally trying to play the ball, I think that's the reason it goes down as an OG. Look, it doesn't matter. Bailey's not going to carry. He's got a goal and an assist. It's an incredible corner, and. Just the turnaround, I'm sure you might want to come back to this, but the turnaround that Aston Villa set pieces, it's amazing what a coach will do. How often last year did we complain about Aston Villa's inability to do anything with a set piece? And then this game, we had so many chances, previous games this season, we've created so many chances from it. 
I don't think it's particularly harsh to call it an OG, to come back to your point, though, and it's just a brilliant whip to cross from Bailey, and he, he'll be delighted with that. Austin McPhee, like, they laughed at him. They, they You know, it sounded like Nigel Farage. You laughed at me. Now you're not laughing. No one's <laughs> laughing now. Uh, like, uh, this guy, like, you're right, like, the... Uh, the versatility and, and how Villa are mixing it up, it, it's so fucking exciting. Like, everything is different. Like, the Ming's chance was one to the front post. They were they were playing it around the box and they wanted it. Bailey whips it in with this amazing trajectory. I want him on all the corners now, by the way. But, um, yeah, and, like, the free kicks were so imaginative. Like, brilliant stuff. The, the throw-ins. Like, the Villa just seemed dangerous, way more dangerous now from, from every scenario. And, again, we had a stage last year where we thought, what's the fucking point of a corner? Like, just just give them the ball back and we'll, we'll go again. <laughs> you know, because, because it was all pointless. Yeah, we'll just be more solidly set up. We won't have Mings having to chase <laughs> back 70 yards. I, the Mings header, it was, a, it was a very good set piece. It was very good movement. Mings starting in the middle and running to the front post. Great delivery from Dougie. Dougie on corners. I saw that being lined up. I was like, what the fuck are we doing? How have we been reduced to this? And it was an incredible save from Begovic. Interesting that you've mentioned the long throws as being good. No. I mean, there was a moment in the first half where Maddie Cash just went across to left back and lofted a ball into Begovic's hands. And then we had four minutes of target at right back and Cash at left back. <laughs> just just so we could give Everton the ball back with a Well, yeah. I've got some throw-ins to talk about in the what the fucker word. <laughs> So, so we'll get back to that. Don't worry. Um, the third goal, Leon Bailey. Like this, this is magic stuff. Like this is the sort of one like you really want to be in the stadium for. Like um, again, Danny Ings takes a throw. Like it comes from a throw-in. <laughs> he, t- he takes it well with like you know defenders on his back. He gets in front of the second one. Take like takes a touch and just just knows where the space is. Lovely outside of the boot into the space. Like, Bailey's not even running and he's like, oh shit, I'm through here because it's such a good ball. And then. See when somebody's running with that pace from forty yards out, and the anticipation in the stadium—it's all opened up. It's like, can he get his touch right? He can. No, he can. He finish it right. You know, will he take a second touch? He doesn't. He'll just fucking nail it like a baseball bat, like out of the park. Like I've never seen a ball stricken as cleanly. Even though it looked like he's about to get a bit over it, just drop kicked it with all the power in the world, and the crowd like just. The silence before he kicks it and everybody erupting in unison. It's like that's the perfect goal, especially for your first goal at Villa. Yeah, exactly. You know, the, the the signing we were waiting for for what seemed like three years <laughs> during the summer <laughs> finally justifies all that anticipation. And to have that moment of anticipation, the 10 seconds as we wait for him to strike the ball was brilliant. It's incredible from Danny Ings. And, the vision and clear-headedness to see that in such a congested space because everyone had wandered over there. I mean, he was he was really working with no no space there. And then to pull it off as well, I mean, it's, it's an almost perfect pass. It sits up a little bit, but Bailey's well able to handle that. But just like the cash goal, as he was bearing down, I could see him winding it up. I was like, you've got so much time, Leon. Just relax. What are you doing? Oh, great goal. Well done, man. <laughs> Yeah, and like so much power that he doesn't need to put it in the top corner or bottom corner. It's just past the keeper before the keeper can react to it. Like that's that's interesting for me to see as somebody who can never generate power like that. You know, it's like, oh, maybe this is the key. You just drill the ball before the keeper can can get anywhere. Yeah, but you can well 
well imagine as well. I mean, it worked out, but you can well imagine him just drilling that off Begovic's face, and then we're all absolutely raging. <laughs> I, I would prefer him to put a bit of a bit of angle on it, but yeah, I mean, to hit it with that much power. There's very even if it hits Begovic in the face, at the very least, it's going to knock him out, and then we'll have Everton third choice goalkeeper for the last twenty minutes. And just to wrap up the top of the show, who has been fined a week's wages this week, Liam? <laughs> Dougie? Did Dougie play one? Fucking mad cash. So, uh, you know, if nobody's aware, I, I, I've just decided that players have to be fined a week wages, no compromise, if they cross the ball out of play for a for a goal kick. And Matt Cash did it. Came storming down the right-hand side and just comes underneath the ball, slices it over the crossbar. I just can't be having it. Like, Matt Cash is a hero tonight. Amazing performance, amazing goal, amazing celebration. Actually, the joy in his face, just running around the pitch like mad. Like, I can't believe it, even though he said he had a dream about it last night. Um, But I'd be pulling him into the office on Monday. And, you know, if he's sitting there with a smile on his face, I'd be like, yeah, yeah, you played well, but you know what? You're not getting paid this week. <laughs> and he'll be like, what? I'm like, what? Play, play the fucking tape there. It's not it's not your goal. It's this moment in the 37th minute or whenever it was. Um, but, yeah, like, they're, they're, they have to learn. Like, there's only going to be one way to learn them, and that's to take money off them every time it happens. <laughs> I mean, you're assuming as well, of course, that taking 30 grand off somebody who makes a million and a half a year is going to have that big of an impact on their psychology but look you know you're, you're the one with a background in sports science i'll let you decide if that's gonna work looks like matt cash has the last laugh again <laughs> we'll get into whatsapp winges all right whatsapp winges first one stop trying to ping the ball to the wing if you can't keep it inside the fucking lines <laughs> I think one of these developed as well during that bizarre period where he had target at right back and cash at left back. Where cash played an absolute screamer of a pass, and Matt Target just couldn't control it because it was on his right foot. <laughs> this is uh this is so good that you've already brought this up twice. <laughs> the second WhatsApp winch. Cash and Target played better on opposite sides. <laughs> Because we weren't great in that first half, and this was just a moment where like they were getting a bit of control and showing something else other than going down the channel and getting blocked. They were able to come inside and play more players into the game. Yeah, and to be honest, because of the way Everton had set up and how dominant Aston Villa were, having inverted wingbacks probably wasn't that bad of an idea. <laughs> it was just like playing a front four, essentially, because they were so far advanced. I mean, the whole purpose of playing wingbacks is to give yourself more width and then to be able to to control the game across the middle of the pitch. But if Everton were going to just concede so much territory, why not play Matt Cash as a left winger? <laughs> uh, something to keep an eye on, anyway. This, <laughs> the second WhatsApp winch <laughs> probably feeds into what I just said. Matt Target equals James McFucking Clean. <laughs> um. <laughs> I don't, I don't know how often he wanted to get blocked down, you know, with his crosses. Initially, he got a couple of nice ones in eventually, a couple of really nice ones that opened Everton up. But, oh, like, the James McLean cross is annoying because everybody knows he's left-footed. And even when he's got all the time in the world, he wants to tee it up for himself before crossing it. And he just allows 
somebody who's 20 meters away to get get in the way and it always hits off them yeah it happened it happens a lot if only matt target had the the pace and desire and strength of james mclean but uh <laughs> yeah we don't want to revert to having the same type of left foot as him definitely not. <laughs> and he was he was blocked down a lot today i mean I'm sure we'll come on to bringing on Leon Bailey for Matt Target was a brilliant decision, but it was also easy enough because Target wasn't he wasn't dominant and effective enough in a game like as I said, a game that we had so much control over. Let's come on to that now. Um, I, I actually don't. In fairness to Dean Smith, it was just that good a game. I don't even have specific nominations for the Tim Sherwood. We played two number tens and bamboozled them award, but. Imagine you just came to this podcast for the first time and you're <laughs> you're hearing all this stuff. It sounds like it sounds like that Friends episode. Let's play bamboozled. Um, but yeah, like that, that that was the obvious one. Bringing Bailey on changed the game. Obviously, having the options to do that now is great. Like the bench was stacked. Like you know, Pearl Gazi, who was amazing the last day at Villa Park, can't get a look in now. When Dia didn't come on, he's probably wrecked after his flight over from Croatia. But um. Yeah, like bring a Bailey on because I think uh, I did anyway. A lot of people probably thought it was a change of system um, with Mings going to left back, which is a bit like, oh. But then afterwards, Dean Smith said, well, the way the game had panned out, like, and this is what you love in a manager, somebody who's looking at the game as it's unfolding in front of him and then making changes to that, you know, rather than having these predetermined subs and predetermined uh, play playbooks that, he, that he's running by. He looked at the match, he said Mings was basically playing left back at main target was right up the pitch. So they felt that they could get Bailey on there without upsetting anything and it just gave them a bit more impetus. And then like, you know, when Bailey got injured, it just brought Ashley Young on then, which which kept that shape, but also probably gave him a bit of a bit of cover at the back. Yeah, absolutely. We went three 0 up, it was fine to bring Ashley Young on and revert again. We we Dean Smith had done what he had set out to do he had won the game by bringing on leon bailey yeah. and you could you could rename the we play two number tens and bamboozled them award the i brought leon bailey on at left back to win the game award i mean it was <laughs> it was an absolutely brilliant decision from dean smith and again it feeds back into just how pathetic everton were like not only was Tyrone mings playing left back we were playing one center half and it was twanzebi against rondon and he was well easy well capable of it and and Esri Kanza was playing right back as well, drifting yeah. into centre midfield a lot of the time. It was so easy for that back three. Now, it is, a, on paper, a very, very strong back three. But Jesus, Everton shouldn't have allowed it to be that easy for them. It was it was madness. But to get Leon Bailey on, the 20 minutes that he had, what a cameo, what a decision from Dean Smith. Like, one of, probably the best 21-minute period that anybody's ever given. Um, especially in his... First game in Villa Park, am I right in saying? I think it is. Yeah. Uh, um, it, uh, just a question on the. We'll get back to WhatsApp winges, but the the back three. Uh, everybody loves them all, and it's it's great to have them all, and the system seems to be working. But I, would you not prefer? And maybe it'll come in time. But would you not prefer one of your back three to be able to step out and draw midfielders? You know, and join in with the midfield like that's. And they should have that safety net because they have an all or two centre backs behind them, so they know that they can do that. And they have a right wing back to the right, you know, if it is the right centre back. But the left centre back or the right centre back, whether it's Mings or Konza, I don't know if they're the type of players who could do it. They're both good ball players, but can they step into to midfield like you would need ideally from that system? Yeah, 
you're definitely right. They're not neither of them are perfectly suited to it, but unlike other teams, so say Seamus Coleman for Ireland, he's doing it all the time, or Aspilaqueta whenever he plays there for for Chelsea, or Kyle Walker does it for England. Villa are doing it with both of them. They're doing it with Mings and they're doing it with Kanza, just not as aggressively as the other teams are. So there's a bit more balance there. I much prefer it whenever it's Kanza that's stepping forward. I think he's yeah. got slightly more composure. Jerome Mings is probably actually a better passer, but he is looking for the glory pass a lot of the time. Sometimes it works out incredibly well because he does strike the ball brilliantly. But whenever Konza does it, you can trust Matt Cash to get back if there ever is a problem. You just target doesn't have the pace to cover him behind Jerome Mings if there's any problems there. So I'd like to see Konza's a brilliant footballer. Just like to see him develop that a bit more if we are going to continue to play this system. But again, that's the benefit of playing three good ball players in midfield as well. It's not as necessary. Yeah, it's not like we're playing at def- an out and out defensive midfielder in there, so that you need one of your centre halves to be able to step up. Yeah, you know we're not playing Declan Rice and Calvin Phillips. We're playing Douglas Louise, who is not as defensive as Ilarizos as our defensive midfielder. So there's not as much of a imperative on Konza to be able to play football. The fourth WhatsApp winch. Who is shouting shit for Nakamba? <laughs> Not only that, he was 45 yards <laughs> out. Exactly. Fucking, you know, he was, he was just inside the Everton half and just heard like, thousands of them going, shoot. Like, was it a joke? I don't know. They, they, seemed, like, they shouted at him a second time when he was moving his way to the right. Oh, it, was, it was absolutely hilarious. The, the commentator actually handled it very well. It was like, very ambitious shouts of shoot there from the Aston Villa fans. <laughs> The, the ball drops him and he rolls it out to Matty Cash. Of course he does. <laughs> For so many reasons that we can all easily understand. You know, in an early context, like if he shoots there, you can hear the groans of Villa Park. Like, you know, the, yeah. the infamous groans that can get on a player's back. Like, if, like imagine he shoots from 40 yards in the camera with all that talent in front of him. Fucking hell. Dropping on a half volley from 45 yards. <laughs> <laughs> Last one. Oh, brilliantly on Bailey's out for three months now. Season's over. <laughs> the Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. Oh, so irritating. Unbelievably irritating. And I was wondering, was it just a dead leg? Because oh, I think, what, he, didn't see, he didn't pull up at any stage. So it's, I don't know. Yeah. Hopefully it's not too serious. I don't know. Were they talking about it afterwards? Yeah, he was, he was being interviewed after. He said he actually, which is more worrying. I, uh, whatever way he was talking to Kanza, it looked like he was gesturing that somebody had run on his legs. So I was like, ah, grand, you know, get over mm. it. But um, he said afterwards in his interview that he actually pulled, like, he didn't say pull, but he, he felt it when he shot, when he had that rasp oh. of a shot past Pegovich. Yeah, so it's like, oh, God, did he pull a muscle? I oh, definitely did. I've, I've done that before as well. Just really innocuous, hit the ball as hard as you can, and just your quad goes. The problem that I had, so it's probably a good thing that he came off after 21 minutes. The problem I had is I played with it for a year, so I probably had a a week-long injury that that persisted for a full year. And it was fine whenever you're just knocking the ball around, but as soon as you have a strike, it just has a really, really sharp pain in your leg. If you hit it with your instep, if you hit it with your laces, it's just agony. So we can get a year out of him? We can get a year out of him, yeah. We can get a year out of him with a bit of ibuprofen handily really knocking career. around. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I hope I hope it's not as bad as it is. And he did, like, it was nice that he was talking 
he's obviously looking at the fixtures as well. He's like, oh, like we just thought it'd be better off, you know, coming off. We were three 0 up, and we've got a lot of games coming up. So I was like, okay, right, this this is a guy with an eye on the bigger picture. Um, hopefully, hopefully it's not too bad. <sighs> Fuck's sake. <laughs> <laughs> We'll uh, come back. We've got the award category after this. They've both got incredible horses. The face on some of those lads, like McNeil, Wood. Like, Wood looks like a big, <laughs> a big GA midfielder, doesn't he? Again, will use his arse in every scenario. He actually played a blind arse early on in the first half. Does anyone sweat more than Ross Barkley? <laughs> it actually looked like he was going for showers regularly during the game. <laughs> what the fuck is wrong with you? John Walters arch has never let me down though. John McGinn's has let me down several occasions this season. <laughs> he was drenched, like absolutely soaking. We don't care about no government warning about is too prone to bad runs of form. He had a bit of crack in December and he was due a bad run. He's too patchy, he's too streaky. And that performance was the equivalent of a streak of shit in the toilets of a fucking bus station. Into somebody else's bosom. Bosom of possession, I mean. You know, like a bosom of possession, I mean. We're going to start with the Paul Lambert. I'm delighted of our performance. I'm fed up with this shit award. Um, two, two nominations, but it's one nomination, really. It happened to both Tyrone Mings and John McGinn. Just knocking balls, crosses out for goal kicks or corners when they don't have to be. I, I, I'm just fed up seeing this in football. I get that the person on the back post is worried that somebody's behind you, but there's nobody behind you. Just have a look at like the, the McGinn one, especially people were shouting at him. Now it's come to light that he was concussed during that period, <laughs> so, <laughs> so it was a bit more forgiving of him. Mings just flicks one out, like you know, and jogs in then to defend the corner. It's like fuck off, like <laughs> that, there's no need for us to be a corner. Take that down in your chest. I, I don't like it's not Mings's fault. It's not any one person's fault. It's everybody's fault for not communicating properly, and like Mings as well for for not looking. He's probably least at fault because yeah he's the one in that position i i yeah it's hard to know who who had the biggest cock up there i mean mings isn't on the byline so i i think he's more justified in flicking it out like john mcginn is standing on the line so even if there is somebody behind him they're out of play yeah so it's grand (laughs) let it go Uh, it doesn't look great for the medical team and i i really hope they're registering it as a concussion was a it was a cynical move to get an extra sub since it was so early in the game. I mean, but if the doctors weren't sure if he was concussed, when he cleared a ball for a corner when he was on the byline and Kanza, Dougie and Martinez 
were roaring at him so loud that you could hear it over the crowd in the stadium. Yeah. They were roaring at him to leave it. Then that was all the medical proof I needed. I mean, it can be hard to figure out if a player like John McGinn is running around like a pinball because he's concussed or because he's John McGinn. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, he obviously wasn't right. He's knocking a ball out of play with players screaming at him. He's looking at those players as well. Yeah. And he touches it out of play while he's on the byline. Madness. Yeah, there was one, I think I had a nomination for the What The Fuck Award and I took it out. But, um, do you know the one that Twanzebe caught in in front of his man brilliantly? Um, down, down the sort of right-hand side and it, it came to McGinn who tried to play it straight back to Twanzebe who was sort of away. Um, and McGinn, just, his foot just goes over the ball. Like mm-hmm. he, he doesn't connect it at all. He just sort of rolls over it and then Everton take it and they're away. That That's the one that leads to the the ball across for Rondon who yeah. misses like he doesn't get there. Um like then as well, like that, that didn't look right. Like it, it looked like he didn't have any coordination, and he, he was jogging back, which is not like him either. He was just turning, then sort of just looked dazed, like a, a concussed player just looks like they're disoriented, and that's how he looked. And it's it's not great. Like he was on for half an hour. Now I know it's, it's probably not. It's, it's definitely not fair on Dean Smith. Like he's the one fielding questions about it afterwards, and obviously looked uncomfortable. I just watched his interview on Match of the Day this morning, and. You know he's he's not he's not enjoying the questions like he doesn't want to be saying the wrong thing about a concussed player or not concussed. Now he said he got a second bang, um, which which is the one that sort of led to that. I I, like, I don't know if that's a story that they're running with now. He said we were keeping an eye on it, and you know there, there's no keeping an eye on it. The players the players shouldn't come into this at all. Like it's it ha- like they have to be saved from themselves. Players will always say they can play, especially when you're John McGinn and you're the vice captain and and you're John McGinn. <laughs> you know, and the, yeah. I, I was thinking about the, uh, the the rugby culture. Like, so in rugby, they have HIAs, like head injury assessments. But players since have admitted that that they've sort of gamed those assessments. So you would get asked a series of questions before games, like you know, to sort of just test where your your brain functions at. And they were saying that they would deliberately get some questions wrong because when they're getting asked questions, then during their assessment, if they if they're uh, a concussion suspect suspect um <laughs> they, they you know the, the results will be similar because they'll automatically get stuff wrong anyway because they're concussed it's it's scary like i'm not, not that's obviously not what's happening in a villa but you just need to be a bit more ruthless with it this guy's gotten a bang in the head especially after the second bang then like don't, don't wait any longer get him off the fuck yeah yeah and players will always say they're all right especially when they're fucking concussed and they can't think properly <laughs> But yeah. it, it, it was it was so blatant that there was something wrong with him. You're right to mention that one because that was that was such brilliant play from Twanzebe to to break it up, and there was a real opportunity for Villa to counter the counter. And yeah, it was frustrating. And but you could tell as well. I mean, during the first five minutes, we we had our John McGinn back. Our wee meatball was rolling around in a delicious marinara sauce for the first five <laughs> minutes. He was it was class, and maybe that fed into it as well. Maybe as well, Dean Smith knew that there's a knock-on effect to the team, obviously. You know, Dougie is not as good as McGinn, and Nakamba is not as good as Dougie, so he was worried about that. Now, I'm not saying he made that decision based on the fact that McGinn was concussed. He's like, ah, yeah. oh, fuck it. I'm not taking him off because Nakamba's <laughs> shite. I'm saying subconsciously that was in his head. If McGinn McGinn's says he's him. fine. McGinn- <laughs> if McGinn says he's fine, he must be fine. You're going to place more weight on a, one of your better players saying that they're good. That they're good to go, so maybe he just left them on for that as well. Yeah, 
Anyway, I hope um hope he's or I hope he doesn't play on Wednesday night against Chelsea. Fuck that game. Just just let these boys recover. Get, that, get, oh, I was gonna say Gail Gazian for that game. Don't get Gazian for that game, that could ruin him for a few weeks. <laughs> but whenever John McGinn was first assessed as well, sorry, I forgot to mention this. He couldn't fucking swallow a tablet. Yeah, that's right. That's right. He missed his mouth. He missed his mouth and then he was launching his neck back to try and get it to go down as if he needed gravity to use the swallowing muscles in his throat. <laughs> Jesus, get that man off the pitch and immediately to a hospital. <laughs> oh, God. As a, as a tablet cheer, I'm really glad that I'm not on TV playing <laughs> football. Fucking hell. Imagine the theories that would be going around seeing me munching a paracetamol. <laughs> um... Ashley Westwood, oh, he was playing a ward. You're not going to like this. Ollie Watkins. What? What's the story here now? Like, is it only is it Ings or Watkins? So Danny Ings has an amazing game, and Watkins has to take a uh, to take a step on the side. You know, Watkins has a class game the last day, and Ings has to sit on the sidelines and and, and watch him. Can they both not just be amazing at the same time? There's a couple of things I don't like about that. I mean, look at the bigger picture. Whenever only one of them has been playing well, Villa have been playing brilliantly anyway, so it's it's almost <laughs> irrelevant. Also, I thought Ollie Watkins was good. Ah, he, he was, he was. He was <laughs> <laughs> Just he was involved less than, than you would expect. And no yeah. shots, I don't think. I think you're right about not having many shots, but he was he was brilliant in everything. Defending from the front, but also his hold-up play again, his running, everything you want from him, just not getting on the ball as much as he normally does. But that's not necessarily the centre-forward's fault. Well, the winner is Alex Iwobi, anyway. I genuinely <laughs> I genuinely didn't know he was playing until he was coming off for Tom Davis in the 81st minute. Like, I saw him coming off and he just went, fucking hell. <laughs> you know, out of sympathy for him. Like, What was he doing in the last 81 minutes? Yeah, there was one, as I said before, the Rafa Benitez interview beforehand made me think that it was just a pathetic approach from Benitez. And then whenever I saw, he picked the ball up in the first five minutes and he had a run at Matty Cash and then he just stopped and played the ball back to centre midfield. I was like, you're the winger here. And then, I, and then that gave me a bit more sympathy towards Rafa Benitez. I mean, Richarlison to Alex Iwobi is is a drop, to say the least. <laughs> The Ronnie Rosenthal Award. Um, oh, like, you know, we're talking about the set pieces. So this, the, the, all four defenders, well, apart from Twan Zabi, there's five defenders, but four of them involved. Cash plays a free kick quickly. It's, it's on the right-hand side, one of those free kicks that you, people love to cross in, but things usually don't come with them. So he plays it. Oh, and it's exactly what we're talking about. So McPhee must be listening to the podcast. So he plays it mm. inside the target, who's in the center now of the pitch. Who then isolates? He sees Kanza isolated with uh, has it Allen or somebody like that. So it's a mismatch anyway. It's and gray. It's, it's an even bigger mismatch. Oh, Demari Gray, Jesus Christ! So Kanza has peeled off now away from the pack where you you would have assumed the ball was being crossed initially. Instead, the ball was across the target, and then it goes into Kanza, who heads it back to Mings, who just an amazing touchdown for any, like Mings would have been. Well, then he's right to have a shot there, like with his head, or let it drop down and, and spank it. But he, he just tees it up with his head to Danny Ings, who volleys it the outside of his boot, and it just curls over. Amazing stuff. Yeah, it was brilliant. Switch the angle and switch it back again. And it 
completely discombobulated the Everton defence. They didn't know what was going on. It's a great header from Konza back into the middle of the box, straight to a Villa man who's completely free. I think Mings is brilliant to improvise there because I'm sure the move is for Mings to shoot, but it's on his head and he's not going to score from there. Yeah. And the touch, the delicate touch to Ings is brilliant. I don't think it's quite on though. I think there's it's a great idea, but there's too many people around Ings who does really well to improvise and get a decent shot away that nearly goes in. But yeah, it was lovely. It's great to see. We talked about this last season. Set pieces, you have to have routines. Whipping it into the box so rarely works that it's almost pointless. Having these routines get you chances and get you a lot of chances when they pull up, when you pull them off. And there's a lot of moving parts in that as well. It's so easy to get that wrong. I mean, Matty Cash could bobble that out to target. Target could not play it directly onto Kanza's head. Kanza's yeah. header, Mings's header. They're all difficult skills. Ings's shot was incredibly difficult. But it was brilliant. It's great to see. So encouraging. Instead of just tossing one into Courtney House's 50p head. <laughs> yeah, you're right. The target pass was perfect. Like the the weight of it was was on James McLean like, he'll say that. Um <laughs> Michael Keane had a couple of big chances of his head that he missed, and, and one of them was brilliant. Martinez pulling his hand away and just like, there's a man who is completely at one with his goals. You know, like he, he just he guided it down to the bottom corner and moved his hand away so he didn't give away a, a corner unnecessarily. And the pull only went a couple of inches wide, but he just knew where his posts were, even though it happened so fast. Ah, yeah. Like the best thing about Emmy Martinez, and there's a lot of really good things, is his footwork. And his understanding of where the posts are, and when you combine that with his ability to hold the ball, it's just it's just incredible. He makes so many chances, looks so shit for Everton. There was a couple that just were shot, but he's just under the ball, catching it at his face or in his yeah. stomach, and it's other keepers would be pushing that out for a throw in, and he's he's just he's an immaculate goalkeeper. I think the winner though goes to our man who is playing really well. I'm delighted for him, but he wins this. Rossenthal Award this week is Jacob Ramsey. Um, steals the ball in the Everton half. I love these boys. Like Dougie, Ramsey and, and McGinn, they're like three of the best midfielders to win ball back high up. It's, it's brilliant to see, but Ramsey steals the ball, drives forward with that athletic body of his. He's got Ings to his left and Watkins to his right. This is why we have these options and Ings is completely free on his left and he, he tries to curl it. I think it was, a two, it was two or three nil at that stage and he thought, ah, you know, I can get on the act here. I think it was two nil. And um, it was 2 and he just curves it wide. He probably should be scoring anyway, but he definitely should be passing things. Yeah, it was a big chance. It was, I, I was happy for him to shoot because, like you said, we were 2 0 up. I think Ramsey was Ramsey was the best thing about the performance in the first half. So I was only wishing him good things because he was the only reason I wasn't throwing <laughs> my shoe at the TV. Like he was, he was taking the ball on the turn. Villa, Villa were playing so. Stately, I would say they were just passing the ball back. They were, play- they were playing one touch passing, but they were playing it the way they were facing all the time, as if you know that was drilled into them. Ramsey was taking the ball, and when he was in space, he was turning into that space and he was yeah. driving at Everton. It was brilliant. Jacob Ramsey is going to be an incredible footballer. I think we can, we have absolutely no doubts about that after his really encouraging season last year. The start to the season has just been uh, unbelievable for for a centre midfielder of his age. And his performance again yesterday deserved the goal, so why not let him have the opportunity to get one? And the courage as well. This is the thing. This is the big shift in Jacob Ramsey's performances this year. It's the way he is now trying this. Last year, Jacob Ramsey wasn't shooting there. Yeah. 
Last year, Jacob Ramsey was deferring to his centre forward, which, fair enough, we would want him to do, but it wouldn't have been coming out of game intelligence. It would have been coming out of the fact that he didn't think he was, he wasn't fully confident in his position in the team. Yeah. But now he knows he's a Premier League operator and he can shoot when he gets to the edge of the box if he wants. Yeah. He's got a bit of swagger about him. I like it. And he just turned 20, like a couple of months ago. So, oh, it could be could be many good years ahead for this man and his brother, hopefully. Um, the Peter Inkelman, what the fuck award. <laughs> he only did it once tonight, but this has to stop. Target turning and trying to tackle people with his back heel. You know, when they just skip by him, he did it on grey in the edge of the box, and grey just skips inside. I think he had a shot there, he might have passed it. I don't, I don't know what came of it anyway, but Target planted himself, planted, swung his left leg around, missed, and grey just went on by him. I, I think from watching Matty Target, I, I think he is really conscious of his lack of pace. Now, Matty Target doesn't look as slow as he did 18 months ago, but I still think it's in his head that he is. And he was rinsed in the first game of the season as well. So I think he is preparing himself to run the line too much. He doesn't want to be sliding across the ground like he is so often, desperately yeah. trying to block the cross. So he's committing to one side too easily. And for little jinky players like Damari Gray, sure, that's exactly what they want. They just, yeah, you've made the choice for me now. I'm just going to come inside. It's yeah. too easy for them. And he does have to stop it. Cause that yeah, that's you're right. That's what happens. His weight is all lean, leaning towards sprinting towards that line. That's that's where he's facing. And then it's like, oh, I'll just swing this leg back now and see what happens. It could be a fucking penalty if you're not careful. Um, but yeah, I saw Sar had another amazing game based on match of the day, but that was against Norwich, so it doesn't really count. <laughs> no, Norwich, you by the way, you your hero Daniel Fark, um, just suddenly drops Umubama Delhi because he got Ozan Kabak in now. I'm looking at Grant Hanley in Quebec, uh, you know, just missing balls coming into the box. Just play Omo, he'll, he'll, he'll dominate. He's better than these players, but because one of them come from Liverpool, then they must be good. Your hero is a loser. <laughs> just to be clear, I just gave Daniel Fark his, his credit for picking Oma for 10 games last year, whenever he was 18 in the championship. He played him whenever he needed to, and he was good. We've only seen him play twice. And he was good. <laughs> um, and also very good at that driving out from the back as well, by the way, as a, as a back three. Maybe one for Villa to keep an eye on. And l- l- listen, just because Stuart Atwell had the worst game a referee's ever had last year, and I rightly called him your hero, you can't just keep throwing my hero back at my face now. As, as, if, I'm, as if that's as justifiable as me saying that Daniel Farka picked Oma Bedelli. You saying that Stuart Atwell's the best referee in the world? You're a fart nonce. <laughs> um, last nomination. Matt Cash comes over to the left side again for a throw-in. Uh, Matt, like, oh! <laughs> so he's come over for a throw-in and then tries to throw it short to Douglas Louise, who flicks it out of play for a throw-in to Everton. And now you've got Matt Cash over there for no reason, all this build-up for no reason. And the ball given away for no reason. Yeah, it's it's easily the worst thing that happened in the game. Only challenged by the, the throw into Begovic's hands. And maybe that's why Matt Cash didn't try it again last time. Because he ended up playing left back for four minutes. <laughs> yeah, well, I would suggest just don't come over. Like, you target as well capable of throwing the ball five metres. 
Yeah, and, and and this is the thing. If even if it then presents itself, you have to realize that you're over there for one reason. You've been brought over. Mings has been brought up. Like no matter how much you think the short throw is on, don't do it. You're there to launch the ball into the box because your analytics team has told you that you create chances from long throw-ins. So let's just create the chance instead of trying to be clever because you haven't confused anybody there except per Matty Target. <laughs> the Vimin meter going up. A lot of players. Danny Ings, like this boy was brilliant. I don't think I really appreciated it until his time with Villa. His control of a football and his skill. Uh, he's not making players. He's pirouetting around them. He's... He's making space. He's he's creating. He's a really good playmaker. Um, he doesn't need to be scoring goals to be a to to, to win my heart over, and he's he's doing really well. Ah, yeah, Danny Ings is a, is a very good player. Um, his link up, his ability to link up the play as well, is something that I didn't appreciate as much. I didn't think he had that in his game, and maybe I was putting too much too much emphasis on his ability to get his head down and drive towards goal and have a shot. I didn't realize he was quite that clever a footballer. I knew he could do it and had played in that position, but I didn't. <laughs> I didn't actually think it was worthwhile. I thought Hassenhuddle was a bit of a nutcase for attempting it a few times. But even when he plays that pass out to to Bailey, you can see from the wide angle. Then he plays that pass, and it's an amazing pass, and he's well within his rights to stand back and appreciate it. But he's the first player to react, and he is off like a fucking rocket down the right wing in support if Bailey needed it, which he obviously didn't. But that's just so incredible to see as well, the desire to get back into box, into the box, but also to appreciate the fact that players need help as well. <laughs> you have to yeah. be a good teammate. If you're going to play like Aston Villa, you have to get yourself freed. Players on the ball in this way that Aston Villa are playing are less important than the players who aren't on the ball because it's so easy. You have to make it easy for the player on the ball to pass it. And that definitely was the highlight of that second half. Just everybody showing for each other. Like, you know, and showing in tough areas as well. Like, and Ming, or Ings more than anybody. Like, we talked about him getting 14 touches the last game, which isn't isn't good enough. And it's not all his fault. But this was a boy who forced himself into this game. Like, he imposed himself on it. And he wasn't going to let that happen again, which, which is great to see from a mentality point of view. But then just the, the result was brilliant. He opened up Everton so many times that... That cash cross that we talked about, where he, he floated the ball, tried to get it back into things. That that starts with things like turning on a shoestring in the in the center circle and then finding Watkins after running forward, and he's the one that sets off the the move initially for Cash's goal. He was the one who was free when Ramsey went through. Like he was involved in this match, and uh, yeah, he deserves all credit coming back from a, a game like he had against Chelsea. It's brilliant. The going up, Matt Cash. We talked about him enough. Going up. Leon Bailey, we've probably talked about him enough. And going up, Tyrone Mings, like this guy was on it as well. Like, and this is what you want to see, like that sort of you know, fortitude coming back from adversity. It felt like that he was very aware that he was to blame for the game against Chelsea. Um, even that one, you know the one he took a big hit? He went up for a header and it looked like a bit of whiplash. Somebody came into his back. Mm. But he made himself so strong there, knowing what was happening. Like the ball was coming in deep. He was standing still, so he was in a dangerous position. Like it could easily be a goal of a player getting a run on him. And the way he he got up and like threw his head back and got it forward again, like knowing that he would need that force to, to clear the danger. I thought that summed him up. Like that that was a man who was focused for ninety minutes. And like we always say, when Mings is focused for ninety minutes, he can be a top defender. 
Yeah, absolutely, and he, and he showed that tonight. He was he dominated that side of the pitch so much so that we didn't need a left back anymore. Yeah, and and it was actually it was Godfrey that was coming steaming in as well. You know, so it wasn't it wasn't Seamus Coleman. Yeah, <laughs> it was it was a big man coming in at the back post. And yeah, you're right to mention his neck muscles there because he's from a static position. He's just jumped into the air. He's got no other momentum other than what he can generate with his neck muscles. And he got the ball to the edge of the box. And then gets cleaned. It's it was a brilliant header and a really brave piece of defending, which we would expect from Tyrone Mings. No one has ever questioned his desire and his bravery to put his body on the line. That's what he does best. And that's that summed him up yesterday. Going up, Nakamba comes on at nil nil and we still won three nil and he's uh, played a part in that and he's played a forty yard pass, so I'm delighted for him. <laughs> Going up, Emmy Martinez, great to see him back, and we might as well just start his journey up to up to the top and beyond the Lyman meter right now because I think we're going to see a few more performances like that. Anybody else that you want to put up? Ah, you can put the whole team up. Everybody played well. There was there was no bad performances in that in that game. I would put Dean Smith flying up, rocketing up based on how Villa have played the last two games. I mean, Villa have been absolutely amazing and brilliantly dictated by Don Smith. He was just... <laughs> <laughs> he has set Villa up so well for the last two games. And maybe maybe I'm being too harsh in Rafa Benitez. Maybe Rafa Benitez saw the Chelsea game and was genuinely worried at how much Villa took the game away from the European champions, how much they dominated them. Sounds silly after a 3-0 defeat, but maybe that did terrify Rafa Benitez. And we did it again. Like Everton were flying. Everton came into this this game with all the momentum. Yeah. They had 10 points in four games and Villa just destroyed them. I mean, even in the first half when Villa didn't have that many chances, there was no threat from Everton. They were absolutely terrible in comparison. Villa had complete control of the game, except for in the final third where they had a few cock-ups like they did against Chelsea. Luckily this time, Matty Cash screamed one into the top corner with his left foot. Lucas Dinius, five foot nine, and Leon Bailey drilled one down the middle of the goals and went in. That's, that's the difference. That's the only difference from the Chelsea game. The shots went in this time. And that, and that's what you want. Like You just want that level of performance being consistent. And like, yeah, maybe you're right. Like That's probably what worried Benitez. The fact that they, they were opening up Chelsea, I said, at the top of the show, the Villa are dangerous. Like They, they can create chances and they created them against Chelsea. Fucking missed them. But um, but if they, if they keep playing that way, then you're going to play teams that aren't as good as Chelsea. You know, they're, they're not going to take... <laughs> They're not going to take their chances the way Chelsea did. Like, Lukaku got two shots, two screamers. Um, you know, a couple of mistakes for Villa at the back as well. Uh, like, you know, that's, you're not going to get punished as severely against most of the teams in the league. And you'll probably get more chances or, like, you'll know, get a better opportunity to score the chances you do get because, again, you're not playing Chelsea every week. Yeah, Alex Iwobi is not as good as Romelu Lukaku. <laughs> Are you willing to say that on record? <laughs> <laughs> um Last one, questions we can't answer, but probably will. How boring must it be to play for Man City? And I, I'm not, like, like I, I want to remove this from, from any Jack Grealish talk. Like, Grealish is a Man City player. Good luck to him. Like, he's given, us, given me so many happy memories down through the years. So I'm not getting at him anymore. I'm letting it go. We've got Bailey. We've got a good team there of our own. We've got Don Smith, as you say. We've got Villa Park rocking. So this... Honestly, it's nothing to do with Jack Grealish. He scored a screamer uh, in the middle of the week in Champions League. Um, but I'm calling it now. It's boring to play for that team because 
and, and that because it's so easy. Like it's you have to go through these patterns because the other team always have everybody back, and you have to pass, 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 pass. There's very, very like little room for players to show a bit of individual magic or to improvise. And you have to just go through the rhythm and the rhythm and the rhythm. Like Pep talks about the rhythm and, and bringing up the pace and taking down the pace. And so often, like, well, actually, to start off with, playing that way initially is is defensive. Like, Pep is doing that, holding the ball that long and driving the other team back because it means that they're less likely to concede. Like, that, like that's a great way of defending, like holding the ball up high in the pitch and not having any opposition players on your side of the pitch. But it also means that so often Man City have six players in the box. That's not an exaggeration. They're all just standing in the box. And uh, uh, Fair enough, I said I'm not going to talk about Grealish. I've noticed it because I'm, I'm keeping an eye out for Grealish when I'm watching Man City. And he's just one of five other players who are just queuing up, waiting for a chance to, to drop to them. It, like They're all just standing around. And it's like, this is crap. Like They're watching Zinchenko and Cancelo and whoever else zip the ball around and they're just waiting for it to to break to them in the box and it doesn't look fun and like we you know obviously it's not as fun either when there's only thirty eight thousand people showing up to a championship <laughs> match that, you, that you're winning six three you're the you're, you're the champions you've got five of England's best players you're trying with all your might to become relevant and to become identifiable and people you're playing attacking football you've got Pep Guardiola and people won't come out to watch you in the Champions League. I don't know what else you can do. But that's the backdrop of it. But the actual playing of it doesn't look fun. Yeah, and yeah, like I watched the the Southampton game this afternoon, and they brought on Phil Foden because they needed to. They, brought, they also brought on Mares and Kevin De Bruyne, but I think we've covered that subject enough. <laughs> they, they brought on Phil Foden, and he was he was running around desperate for the ball. I think it was his first game of the season. And because of this way that Man City have it drilled into them to play, it was almost pointless bringing on Phil Foden because he was he was there. I would have thought to try and incre- to try to bring in a bit of imagination into the game, but he was popping the ball off and then stepping into space, and yeah. the ball wasn't coming back. It was being recycled in this iterative patterns that just have to be played out by Pep Guardiola's team. And I think you're right. I think it is. It must be boring for players like Phil Foden or Jack Grealish. To, have to play in that system. It's obviously a lot more interesting for Gundogan or Kevin De Bruyne, who are on the ball a lot more and they're dictating how these patterns are going to play out. But to be one of the forward players must be soul-destroying. Pep Guardiola needs to show a bit of patience, in my, in my opinion. I mean, to get 38,000 fans, sorry, probably 30,000 fans, 5,000 Leipzig fans and 3,000 tourists, to turn up to a game is impressive for a club that's only 13 years old. I mean, filling <laughs> 70% of your Gargantium Stadium of 55,000 for a game against a team that finished second in the Bundesliga, your rivals for qualification from the group in the most prestigious club competition in the world is is a bit of an achievement. And I don't know, I don't know what he's so worried about. And they they spent a hundred million on the most popular player in England. So I don't know. I think you're right to ask. I don't know what else they can do. Everything should be set up for this the stadium to be filled but they just have to show that bit of patience 13 year old <laughs> club is doing well <laughs> these things take time like, <laughs> why it is a weird one like why why does nobody care <laughs> it's just because it's it's something that I, I sometimes wonder are we all just over egging this like it's a really funny stick to beat them with but it's true like nobody genuinely cares like not not in proportion to how much they should like and 
I, I am convinced that the reason they were trying to buy Harry Kane as well was just for that reason. Let's get the England captain in here too. If nobody cares, let's give them like let's make them care. We'll have we'll have the most popular player, as you say, the the poster boy, and we'll have the captain who's scoring all the goals. They'll have six English players in there, and it won't matter. Like there'll still be thirty thousand Man City fans showing up to a Champions League match. But they only have thirty thousand fans. That's the issue, and people just need to realize that. It, there will eventually be a lot of you know people who aren't from. Manchester, who because that's where their fans are based now. It's just Manchester people. They don't have the global reach. They can't get the stadium to be filled, and they just have to appreciate that they're just not a big club. They never were. That's part of the reason why they were bought because they could be bought so cheaply. Yeah. I, and I, I think sorry to cut you off. I think I'm um, just on that. That I saw. I don't know if it was a Man City fan, but tweeting about uh, some report that Sky Sports News did on the day of the United Newcastle game, and it was like you know it was funny enough line but like Ryan Air must have had a field day this morning because everybody being interviewed outside the stadium now obviously they were there hours before because they're coming from countries far and wide but they were Irish or they were you know from France or wherever else like these are the fans who got there first but but that's also the reason that you can't get a ticket to United like I could have walked down to the Etihad on Wednesday night and got in like that's insane it's supposed to be like a team challenging for Europe and you can just walk down and get in like that's why you have to wait for months to go to United yeah, you and seventeen other seventeen thousand other people could have walked out yeah. and got a ticket for the game. Ah, <laughs> oh, anyway, um, <laughs> last one. We're almost done. Why are United so afraid of Ronaldo? <laughs> this this is a a strange one. Like this is a guy. Obviously, he's a brilliant player and he's a superstar and all that, but. United didn't need him. <laughs> United have so many options. Like they only signed Ronaldo because City were trying to buy him. So there's a there should be a comfort in that. Like there, it's it's not like if Ronaldo leaves that they're fucked. You know, if Ronaldo leaves, it probably solves them a headache. Like they, they'll get a they'll have to get a few more people to score a few more goals. But like they have Greenwood, they have Cavani, they have a, a plethora of amazing attacking options without Ronaldo. So. Solskjaer shouldn't be explaining himself when he's taking them off when they're down to 10 men or whatever else ever there shouldn't be all these think pieces about how Ronaldo is going to be bad for Solskjaer and United just manage like just just manage the team like you want to and if he's not happy who gives a fuck like he's still gonna he's still gonna be there and he's still gonna score goals but when you need to take him off take him off when you need to drop him drop him if he leaves so what why does it matter yeah, it is an interesting question. I mean, Cavani also made United a lot better last year whenever he was playing because of how he played, which is in direct contrast to how Cristiano Ronaldo plays. You know, Cavani was closing people down. He was running into the channels. He was doing everything that was missing whenever it was Anthony Martial who was up top, just standing around in the shadow of what used to be a potentially good footballer. And there, there is an interesting question, and it does persist across all teams, both within and outside of football, that is, it's magnified when you're talking about Cristiano Ronaldo. The question of how to to handle big egos, players with justifiable senses of entitlement because of their achievements, their status, and also because of how obsequious the rest of the players, the teammates, and the management appear to be. I mean, the question is only amplified by that. I mean, this is a bunch of players that have now realised apparently that it's a good idea to not have dessert the night before a, a game of football. They needed, they needed Ronaldo to tell them that, professional athletes. And the manager, in asking the question about Ronaldo at United, it's like you you found yourself 
at the crucible, Ronnie O'Sullivan has just broken the Reds and you're approaching the table asking how you're going to put together a winning break with the rope you have in your hand. And you, <laughs> you don't have the tools at your disposal to manage this situation and nor do Man United to handle the Ronaldo situation. And, and I actually think that the more interesting thing about that, that debacle against young boys was people were questioning the Ronaldo sub like Solskjaer was a goal up and a man down, fair enough, but it was against young boys. Yeah. And he decided it was necessary to replace Ronaldo, Fernandez, Sanchez, and Van de Beek with Lingard, Matic, Ferran, and Dalo. <laughs> That's the question we should be asking. That's a question I can't answer. I mean, they were playing young boys. The Irish commentator, whenever Martins picked up the ball in midfield, said Something along the lines of, he was, of course, playing against Ireland for Luxembourg, but the less said about that, the better. But then he proceeded to, to praise the clinging-on job Manchester United were doing against the mighty young boys. I mean, it's okay for Man United to be dominated by a team of Martins in midfield, but it's a national disgrace when Ireland lose to a screamer from a team of Martins in it. <laughs> I get your thoughts in order. Which one is it? If Martins is shite, what the fuck are Man United doing? <laughs> he didn't have a shot for the rest of that game either after he got uh, Wan-Bissaka sent off. And I, I, I can't express how annoying that was for me. This was the first Champions League game I watched. <laughs> and this is what I'm, I'm watching. Man United concede the game to young boys, a game they're currently leading just because they've had arm Wan-Bissaka sent off. <laughs> This will forever remain an unanswered question. Um, yeah, I would just say don't don't worry, don't, don't get too concerned about the Ronaldo thing. Like he was just thrust upon you because you couldn't let him go to Man City. He's a great asset to have, and he's always going to be a great asset, no matter how pissed off he is with you. And he might leave in the summer if you don't play him enough. Grand, you've got him now, and he could help you a lot. Just don't be bent over a barrel by somebody you don't have to be bent over with. Um, and that's it. A good day for Aston Villa. And we move on. We are moving. 3-0 win against Everton. I hope you all enjoy the rest of your weekend. Thanks for listening and we will see you soon. All the best. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 